Amen. We're doing our study through the book of Hebrews. And that's what we've been doing on Wednesday nights for, for several months now. And uh, taking our time and going through, it's a wonderful book in the Bible. I know I've learned a lot through studying it again. And it's just like anything in the Bible, the more we study it, the more we come to, to learn and know and appreciate it. But we're going to start in chapter 10, verse 1. We finished up chapter 9 last week. And it's been the whole theme of this book has been we know that Jesus is better. He's better than everything that was offered and everything that was uh, instituted under the Levitical system, under the law of Moses. All the sacrifices, all of the, uh, the tabernacle worship, the temple worship, everything is better in Jesus. Okay? He is the fulfillment of that. And I don't want to rehash too much of it. But uh, just to, to recount, you know, when, when, the, when the fullness of Jesus came, in other words, the fullness of what the, the law had foreshadowed, the types and shadows. And I always think about John the Baptist at the Jordan River. When he looks up all those lambs that have been slain for all those years, all those animal sacrifices that were required under the law of Moses, uh, and then all of a sudden... The Bible says in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And here comes Jesus and John the Baptist is baptizing people. He's the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He's out there at the Jordan River. People are just, the Lord's just drawing them out in the middle of the wilderness to come hear this man preach, this prophet and he is announcing and he, that Jesus is coming. He looks up and there he is. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the final Lamb that was slain. That's the final Lamb that needed to be slain. All those others were types and shadows and figures and pictures and kind of representative of the Lamb that would come. When, when Abraham was offering up his son Isaac, the child of the promise, and then the Lord requires him to offer him as a burnt as an offering to the Lord, and he's doing it in obedience and in faith. He's, he's made the, got the wood, and he's laid his son Isaac on the altar, and he's got the knife, and he's about to bring it down upon his son, trusting that God could raise him up from the dead. And the Lord stopped him, and, and Abraham had already told his son, God is going to provide himself a lamb. Now that was like a double prophecy, because when he looked, there was a lamb caught a ram caught in the thicket and his horns. That doesn't probably just happen every day where a ram gets caught in the thicket, you know, with its horns, but it was there and God provided, and that's where we get the name Jehovah Jireh, God provided a lamb to be offered up instead of Isaac. But he provided a son to be offered up instead of us. Okay? He died in our place, Jesus Christ. So that that when God would provide Himself a lamb, where Abraham mentioned that, I believe, in Genesis chapter 22, He provided a lamb in a thicket, but He provided the Lamb of God in John the Baptist's day who came to take away the sins of the world, to take it away. That's why it's so much better in Jesus. The Lord's always been a forgiver of sins when men truly trusted in Him by faith. But the blood of those animals could never wash the heart clean. The blood of those animals was what God required and He provided it. Then He would accept it as a covering, a temporary covering or atonement for our sins. But Jesus, the Bible says, has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west by, by the washing of His own blood. And that's by faith when we put our, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to read what one uh, author wrote about this. He says, to prefer the law to Christ is like preferring a picture to the person it represents. It's an insult to him. And think about it. What if you had a picture of your wife or one of your children or something, and you just love that photo all the time or that picture, and your, your wife is sitting right here or your child's sitting right there, and they're like, here I am, love me. You know what I mean? I'm here. Do something with me. Talk to me. Spend some time with me. And it's, it's like uh, somebody that would be tempted to want to go back under the law, so to speak or not see the, the glory of Jesus Christ and who He is and how He fulfilled it, and they're still clinging to what the Bible calls the weak or beggarly elements of the law. It's not a criticism of the law. It's the fact that the law was not Jesus. The, the law pointed to Jesus, okay? And so, uh, to prefer the law to Christ, and that's why 
that's a theme of Hebrews. In the first week when we started, the people that the author is writing to, we know it's the Holy Spirit. We know it's the Word of God. We know it's for all of us. But this specific audience, Hebrews, were Hebrew Christians. They were Jewish Christians. And the temptation was because they were so considered such outcasts in their society. The other Jews cut them off. Okay, Other Jews put them out of the synagogues. The other Jews put them out of the schools. Everything about the Jewish life revolved around Judaism. So when somebody accepted Christ, uh, the other Jewish people who rejected Christ also rejected these believers from every area of life. Okay? And so the temptation for these people was, maybe we should just go back under that law. Maybe we should just go back, just quit fighting it and go back under it. Now, we don't necessarily have that same temptation to go back under the law, so to speak, because none of us are Jewish probably and didn't come out from under that law. But we can have temptations to to move into a works-based religion as opposed to a religion of faith. We can can have a temptation to move into maybe even worldliness or something opposite of that, something other than what the Lord has for us. And so if you'll look at Hebrews 10, that's what this book's all about. And I'm going to read a big portion of it. I'm going to read 1 through 10 to start off tonight because it's pretty much one theme. So if you're looking at your Bibles, Hebrews 10, 1 through 10, for the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. Because that the worshippers once purged should have no need, no more conscious of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. We're going to stop right there. I said 10. We're going to stop at 9 right now. And I want you to keep your place marked there in Hebrews 10. And turn with me, if you would, to Psalms chapter 40, verse 6 through 8. Verses 6 through 8. Psalm 46 through 8. This is where this is quoted from. A lot of the Psalms are what you would call Messianic Psalms. A lot of the Psalms are speaking of Jesus. And this is definitely one of them. Sacrifices and offerings thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. And there's a real difference there. It wasn't just a law written on stone that basically was projected upon people and they sat under it. It's different when there's a real relationship with the living God and certainly in the New Covenant, which we're talking about, it's written upon our hearts. It's written upon our hearts and written in our minds. So it's not just outwardly and say, okay, what did that law say again? Oh yeah, I can't, I can't commit adultery and I can't covet Okay, let me check. You know, I got that. And then go about my day. It's different when we're born again. We're born of the Spirit of God. And we have a conscience. We talk, the author of Hebrews talks a lot about conscience. And we'll talk about it more uh, tonight. But it's different because it's written on the fleshly tables of the heart. That inner man. So you can be by yourself. Your Bible's not near you. A preacher's not near you. You're not listening to a sermon. But the Holy Ghost is holy. And the Holy Spirit takes up residency in our lives when we're born again. And the Holy Spirit says, don't covet that. Don't covet that man's car. Don't covet that man's house. Don't covet that man's wife. Don't covet after these things. And we don't have to have somebody tell us that because they're written on our hearts. 
We can't get away from them. We can't escape it. That's a good thing. That's a very good thing because the Lord has changed us and written His laws on our heart and He's able to keep us. He's able to keep us in a Christ-like way and make us more like His Son, Jesus. And that's what He's working to do. This is part of the New Covenant. And so I want you to look at this as well. If you're in your Old Testament still, look at Isaiah chapter 1. And let's just read 10 through 20. Isaiah 1, 10 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. That's what he's, 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 the Lord's not happy with Jerusalem right now and with Israel. He's calling them Sodom. And we know all what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what he's calling them. You rulers of Sodom, give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifice unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with it. Away with It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide my fate, my eyes from you. Yea, when you make your many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Revive the poor. Relieve the poor, the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. You know, th- this was the, one of the problems with the law. It's not that the Lord hated the law. He gave the law. In weeks past, we've talked about how the law was good. The law was holy. The law was spiritual. The law was just. It was all of those things. But one thing the law was not was a Savior. The Savior is the Savior. Jesus Christ is the Savior. Look unto me and be saved, the Lord says. But also in the doing and the performing of these religious duties, God wanted the heart to be lined up with with the doing of it. If we came in here tonight, I don't think it's any different. If we're singing, oh God, you're my God, but our mind is on something else, and we're just doing it because it's what we do on Wednesday nights. And oh, he told me to lift my hands. I better lift my hands. You know, he told me to sing. I better sing. I really want to sit down, but he told me to stand up, so I better stand up. And if it's not from the heart, it's not going to be honoring to the Lord. It's not going to be pleasing to God. The Lord, the Lord has always been after the heart of man. So even in the Levitical system, he's talking about the feast and the new moons and the sacrifice and the burnt offerings and the burnt incense. All that was beautiful. All that was types and shadows of the Lord. That was part of their worship. It was a way they approached God and He would teach them things about Himself through these different uh, types and shadows in their worship. And yet, they were just coming and doing it, but their hands were filled with blood. They They weren't godly at all. They weren't trying to be godly. They were trying to have the Levitical system because we're Jews. we got to do the Jewish thing over here. But their heart was far from the Lord. It was just like that when Jesus came with the Pharisees. You worship and honor Me and praise Me with your mouth, but your heart is far from Me. He said your whitewashed sepulchers are tombs. On the outside, you look real pretty and perfect. They were doing the Jewish thing right in, in many ways. Okay? But their heart was far from the Lord. So it was an abomination to the Lord. And so he wanted to make an end to that. He brought in Christ and brought an end to that. The Bible says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. Don't ever forget that. I don't think that's any different today. That humility and that contrition on our part to come before the Lord. The Bible says in the New Testament, God resists the proud and He gives grace to the humble. There is a way to approach the Lord and it's filled with thanksgiving. We're, Thank you, Jesus, for what you did. Thank you, Lord, that you paid the price for my sins. Thank you, Lord, 
that I don't have to work for salvation. Thank You, Lord, that all my sin can be washed away. Thank You that I can be an adopted son of God and part of the family of God and join heirs with Jesus Christ and call Christ my brother. Not only my Lord and Savior, but my friend and my brother. There's a contrition there. I don't deserve any of that, Lord. Unmerited favor of God. It's mercy and grace by which we've saved, by which we're saved. But the animal sacrifices, and I'm kind of lumping the, the you can turn back to Hebrews. The, uh, the first nine verses, I'm kind of approaching them as one thought, okay? The animal sacrifices could not cleanse the heart of the sinner from his sin. I think that's been made very clear, right? For it's not possible, he said, that the blood of bulls and goats could take away man's sin. So it could not. And it did not. It's not that it did a poor job of it. It just couldn't at all. Alright? So you say, well, why did God give it? He gave it. He never intended for it to. And I've, all my studying and my reading, the Lord never said, these animal sacrifices are going to be what cleanses you. He, offered, he said, required those to be a schoolmaster and a teacher of a coming Savior and Lord. And even though people lived and died and lived and died way before the cross, way before Jesus came and born in a manger and died on a cross at Calvary, a lot of people lived and died before then, right? Men still could be saved by faith, by looking forward. God, You have to be my Savior. I can't do good enough on my own. I can't do good, but I can trust You. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. That's what the Bible says. And so even though people lived and died before the cross, they still could be saved by looking to a coming Savior. But it's not possible, the Bible says, that that blood of an animal could take away the sins of a man. It can't. It can't. It's impossible. But God, and also the Lord was displeased with the way that they were, uh, the insincerity of their, uh, many of the Jews and the way they would approach, approach the Lord in all of this. What did please God was when His Son came. He, I came to do Thy will, O oh my God. I delight to do Thy will, O oh my God. You know, I pray that prayer a lot. I pray a lot of Scriptures for myself and for others. I don't just... I, 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 think, I don't know what percentage, but a large percentage of my personal prayer time is Scriptures. Because I, I know... That's God's Word. And I know I'm praying right. You know what I mean? I I know it's His will. For example, I'll quote to myself Psalm 49 and say, Lord, give me the heart of Jesus because He said, I delight to to do Thy will, O my God. Yea, Thy law is within my heart. God calls me not only to do Your will, but to delight to do Your will. That's a big difference, isn't it? Anybody can be made, somebody stronger than them, can be made to do what their person has commanded them to do or instructed them to do. And, but their heart's not in it. They're not really changed. But I want my heart to be lined up with the Lord's heart. And He does that. He does that. Amen. He's written His laws in our heart and in our minds. And it pleased the Father, the willingness of His Son, Jesus Christ, to do the will of the Father. Don't we read all through the Gospels where Jesus said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. I can only do the things I see my Father doing. I only say the things I hear my Father saying. I can of my own do nothing. And many Scriptures like this. He said, well, wasn't He God? He was God. He was God in the flesh. He was son of, the Son of God and the Son of Man. But He came to this earth at that first coming to do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father, Father included Calvary. It included crucifixion. It included Him being the Lamb of God. And the Lamb had to die. Just like in those types and shadows of those Old Testament uh, animals that were offered up. And it pleased the Father the way that Jesus laid down His life unto death. Even the death of the cross. Philippians 2, right? Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And there's a wherefore. Because He did this, and you read all through Philippians 2, wherefore God has exalted Him. He humbled Himself before God, and then God exalted Him. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He'll lift you up. If we'll obey the Lord, 
in what we think are little things or big things or medium-sized things or menial things or I don't really know why God wants me to do that. There's some things that are like that. Some days, just we might even wonder what's the point sometimes. But, but that's not really for us to, to reason out like that. We're to yield to God. Submit and yield and allow and let this mind. They're, 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 act, they're verbs. They're action words to yield to God as opposed to not yielding to God. And when we'll do that and we do that as a pattern and we do it joyfully and God helps us to do it joyfully, at the end, whether well, at some point later in our life, certainly in heaven, okay, the Lord is going to exalt us. Now, we'll never be Jesus. He'll always be Jesus and have a name that's above every, every name. But He is going to glorify us together with the Lord. We'll have glorified bodies like we talked about last Sunday. And so, when we humble ourselves before the Lord. But let's look at that verse 9 in chapter 10, verse 9, where He says, uh, Then said He, Lo, I come to do Thy will. We're in Hebrews 10, 9, O God. He taketh away the first that He may establish the second. When it says he takes away, it means he abolished it or he retired it. Okay? Like some old horse that's worked out in the field and, you know, it's, buddy, it's just time for you to, to go out to pasture there for a little while and spend the rest of your days out there. It's not a criticism of the old horse, it's the fact that the old horse has done his deal. He's, he's lived his life, he's done what he was supposed to do. That's the picture of the law. He took away the first. He retired the first. And He established the new covenant. Okay? They're not set against each other. One ended and then one started. Christ ended one by fulfilling it. He's the only man that could keep, perfectly keep the law and He did. And by fulfilling it, He put it away. By fulfilling it, He put an end to it. So it's passed away. So for a person to try to find a way to go back under the law, let me try to go back to that old Levitical system and find my salvation or my righteousness or my justification through that, you're not going to find it. Okay? It's going to be found in Christ and Christ alone. There's a new covenant in Christ. And let's keep reading in verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Have you noticed how many times the word once or one time is used. Do you notice how that's contrasted with the continual burnt offerings that were offered under the Levitical system? We talked about it many times. Morning and evening, every single morning, every day of the year, every year before Christ came, there was animals being offered. There was like never a day where there weren't animals being offered. And then other times for, for sin, let's say I lived under that that system and lived under the law and I committed some sin, the Bible would require you bring a lamb and you bring it to the priest and he'll offer it. Or if somebody had leprosy, you bring this. There was always animals being killed. And on the annual day of atonement, uh, when the priest would offer, um, that was another time. But there was always animals being... Blood was being offered. They were dying. Okay, Animals were dying. But it says here that He offered up the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Over. Finished. It's done. There's no more blood that has to be shed for the remission of sins. It was taken care of. Fully satisfied. Fully fulfilled. The Father said, yes. That's what I'll accept. That will do it. That is sufficient for me. It's an insult to try to add to that. Accept what God provided. He required a lamb. He provided a lamb, and then he accepted what the lamb did. You understand what I'm saying? That was nothing. Salvation is of the Lord. It's not of you and me. It's of the Lord. I need to give my life to Christ by faith. And He saves me by His grace. That's how that works. And then we continue to walk with the Lord. But He did it once and for all. And it talks about His... uh, by the which will we, that's believers, in verse 10, are sanctified. Now I want to talk about this just for a minute. There is a positional sanctification that we've talked about. I don't want to, these aren't big biblical words to scare anybody away. As soon as somebody gives their life to Jesus, let's say uh, we're witnessing to somebody out on the streets 
and they're an alcoholic. And they have just been drinking 30 minutes before. They smell like alcohol. They might have been committing fornication earlier that day. They're sinners. But we bring the Gospel to them. They hear it. They understand it spiritually. The light bulb comes on. They pray to give their lives to Jesus. They mean it. Are they saved right then at that moment? Yes, they are. Are they justified at that moment? Yes. Are they righteous at that moment? Yes. Because we inherit the righteousness of Christ at that moment. Uh, The Bible says uh, that He is just and the justifier of Him that believes in Jesus. Alright? So that would be what the Bible would call a positional sanctification. In other words, right then and there, they pass from death to life. That moment. They still, their clothes might smell like alcohol still. Okay? Their breath might. So we know that they're not perfectly cleaned up, so to speak, physically, morally, and all that. But their heart is new. And they're saved. And they're part of the family of God, just like you are. No more or no less. They stand on equal footing with you and me. They stand on the, on the rock, which is Jesus. We're all lined up flat. Okay? Somebody that's been serving the Lord for 60 years and a missionary and given all their money and finances and health and everything, they're on equal footing with this person who just gave their life to the Lord 15 seconds ago. Alright? Because that position is the rock of our salvation is Jesus and the blood of Jesus is the same for you and me. And the righteousness of Christ is the same for all of us. So that's a positional sanctification. Uh, it says in 1 Corinthians 6, we don't have to turn there for time's sake. He says, such were some of you. Some of you were adulterers and effeminates and thieves and robbers and drunkards. But now you're washed. Now you're sanctified. Now you're justified. Okay? Now. Right now. He was saying to those believers in Corinth. Alright? So, positional standing. That's all I mean by that. That you're as justified as you'll ever be. You're as righteous as you'll ever be. And in that sense, sanctified means separated unto the Lord. You're, he's got you, okay? He's got that guy on the street that just gave his life to Jesus. Never been to church, never put a dime on the offer plate, never taught a Sunday school class. He gave his life to Jesus. He's right there with you and me. Alright? Now, then there is a practical sanctification uh, walking this thing out where we're becoming more like Jesus day by day, which is progressive. I didn't bear much fruit maybe the first six months of my salvation, but I pray now that my life is bearing more fruit. That type of thing. I, I, we're growing in Jesus. We're, we're becoming more like Jesus. That's a practical day-by-day walk with the Lord. And that, for that man that just gave his life to the Lord, you might be way farther along. I pray that you are. In your practical holiness in your righteous living, in your understanding of the Word of God, in your Christ-like character and nature, I pray you're a lot further along. Okay? But we're still on the equal footing positionally. It's just we've walked with the Lord longer and sought Him, and He's made us more like Jesus. Okay? And He'll begin that work in that new believer as well. And then He'll bring everybody along. Okay? He moves us along. But we're always on that rock. So in this verse, in Hebrews 10.10, when it says, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, that's talking about our positional standing in Christ. Sanctified um, as though it's something that's already taken place. Okay, It's already taken place. That's not the, the progressive, ongoing sanctification. And honestly, y'all, if it was all done just at salvation, salvation is done at salvation. All right? And a lot of things are done at salvation. But if, like the, the growth and the maturity in my life as a Christian. God wants growth, right? That you henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, but speaking the truth in love that you grow up in Him, in Christ Jesus. He wants us to mature. He wants us to gain spiritual ground like we've been talking about in the last uh, weeks and months here at Cornerstone. Uh, He wants us to grow and mature. That's something He begins in us and will continue to work in our lives after salvation. We're saved. Then we begin to walk with God. Okay, we'll never be any more saved though. If you become the most godly man or the most godly woman on the planet, and I pray you do, you'll never be any more saved 
than the day you gave your life to Jesus. And never be more forgiven or cleansed or justified or righteous in God's eyes. Because He's always looking for His Son. And where He finds His Son in the heart of that believer, that man or that woman, that young person, we're accepted in the Beloved. That's, that's our ticket, so to speak. That's our salvation. It's in Jesus. So I want to keep reading a little bit here. Um, let's read 11 through 18. And every high priest standeth daily. Here's the continual things. He's speaking about the Levitical priest. And offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Never. It doesn't matter how many they offered, or how many days they offered it, those sacrifices could never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice, I'm speaking to Jesus, for sins forever sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. I'm going to stop right there. Uh, when it says that he sat down at the right hand of the Father on high, and expecting, he's anticipating, he's waiting till his enemies be made his footstool. There is coming a day, and we talked about it Sunday, remember in the sermon about for the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And all that those future things are going to come to pass. The Lord will reign and rule on this earth. He's not right now. He's still God. But in this time period, He's not reigning. Obviously, you can look around and see all the sin and everything. He's not reigning like He's going to reign sovereignly over this planet, the whole planet. The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. And Jesus will set up His throne in Jerusalem and reign and rule. And He's going to subdue all things unto Himself. He's letting things roll. He's still involved, but He's letting it follow this course. And there'll be a time when the church is raptured. And there'll be a time when a tribulation period comes for seven years. There'll be a time when the Lord returns in Revelation 19 on the white horse to set up His kingdom on this earth and, and, and so forth. It's all in God's timetable. The time we're living in now, we're waiting for that. We're expecting that. And, and it says here that He is set down at the right hand. Once He offered Himself and He died on the cross, He said it's finished, right? Didn't He say that on the cross? He didn't say it's partly finished. He said, I'm almost done. He said, it's finished. And He, he gave up the ghost. He had power to lay down His life. He died before He should have died. He died before the, uh, the Roman soldiers pierced Him with the sword. They did pierce Him with the sword. And out came blood and water. He was already dead at that point because He gave up His life. He says, I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. This commandment I have of My Father. And He did. And so now, once He rose from the dead and He was here on the earth for 40 days, then He ascended on high, right? They watched Him go at the Mount of Olives. They watched Him go up in the clouds. The angel said, what are you staring up in the sky for? This same Jesus is going to come again in like manner. But you go wait in Jerusalem like He told you for the, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they did. But where is Jesus now? Literally, He's at the right hand of the Father. It doesn't mean, and I don't believe that the, the teaching is that He's only just sitting all the time. That when it says seated at the right hand of the Father, that's speaking of a position of authority. He's at the right hand of the Father because that is a, that's you've heard the term uh, someone's right hand man, okay? That's like where their their power is, their force. If they need a job done, this is the one to do it. Somebody to represent me, this is the one to represent me. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, okay? And so I don't think he's just sitting all the time, but he is ceased from that work. He finished what he came to do, and so the work of redemption, as far as what Jesus had to do to obtain eternal redemption for us, like we looked at in chapter 9, He obtained, past tense, eternal, that's forever, redemption for us. He finished that. And so it's a completion. It's a fulfillment. That's what it's talking about when saying He's at the right hand of the Father. And uh, you know He's done. He's finished what He came to do. In verse 14, For by one offering He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Wherefore the Holy Ghost also is witness to us. For after that He had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. 
And this we quoted from, uh, this was also in Hebrews 8, I believe, chapter 8. And it comes from Jeremiah 31. If you're wondering where does this scripture come from in verse 16, Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws where? In their hearts. It's different than a table of stone, right? It's different than Ten Commandments written on the wall. And we look, we got to double check and, and memorize them and, and try to get it all categorized. And now I'm going to go try to live by them. Nope, I failed. I didn't keep them. This is different. I will put my laws in their hearts. You couldn't get any more intimate than that. You couldn't get any more personal or one on one than that. And I will write them in their minds. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now remember, with the, the blood sacrifices of animals, there was a continual what remembrance of sin. It actually did more in a lot of ways to bring sins to remembrance. Every time an animal is being shed, somebody say, well, that's because of my sin. You know, I've got to have another more animals die, more blood. It, was, it must have been a messy job. You know what I mean? Continually. You think of the priests as just being all dignified and all that and their clothing and all that. But offering these animals, if you've ever cleaned a deer, okay, a big animal, they're heavy, it's hard, it's not an easy job. It can wear you out. And continually doing this, there's no way to keep clean and keep nice and prim and proper. But the, there was a constant remembrance of sin. And the annual day of atonement, even if you didn't think about it all year, that day, you remembered what that day was all about. The priest would make sacrifice for his own sins. He would go into the most the holy place, the most holy place, and he would uh, make atonement for a uh, sacrifice for the sins of the people, and God would meet him there at the mercy seat. But it says here, um, and their sins and iniquities, verse 17, I will remember no more. So it has to do with the blotting out. It's a lot better, isn't it? Isn't it a lot better that the Lord has blotted out our sins? And now we know God's omnipotent and omniscient and He knows all things. So He knows the sins I've committed. To me, it's more of a choice. Because of what Jesus did for my sins and the sins of the world, and the Father accepted what Jesus did, and because I fully put my trust in Jesus and said, Lord, forgive me. Wash me in Your blood. He does wash me in His blood. And he chooses to forget my sins. He could recall them to mind if He wanted to. He doesn't want to. They're washed away. And I shouldn't want to either. Okay, To call them back to remembrance. Now where remission or forgiveness of these is, there's no more offering for sin. There's no more offering for sin. I can't add to it, y'all. And no, I'm not going to finish this chapter tonight, but we cannot add to our salvation when it comes to sin. Now, are there things we can do as believers to try to grow in the Lord? Absolutely. Can we serve the Lord? Absolutely. I ought to serve Him more than I do. I ought to witness to more people than I do. I ought to give more time, effort, energy, money than I do. There's a lot more I can do. I ought to be still and listen to the Lord and hear His voice more than I do and turn off the TV. You know, you understand what I'm saying? There's lots that we can do, but none of that is adding to my salvation. None of that is adding to what Jesus did on the cross. Just let it stand all by itself. Let what Jesus did stand all by itself and just be thankful. Just admire. Just be thankful and humble yourself before the Lord at the foot of the cross and just thank Him. God, for saving me what You did for me. Forgive me for thinking I could add anything to my own righteousness. You understand what I'm saying? It doesn't mean we're lazy and do nothing. If we're truly saved, we're going to work harder than anybody. True faith will produce works. That's what the Bible says. But I'm not adding to my salvation by my working. I'm working out my salvation because I am saved by faith, with fear and trembling. And it's the Lord who works in me both to will and to do of His good pleasure. I'll read a couple more verses and we'll stop for tonight. But let's read 19 through 23 because everything after that through the end of chapter 10 is a whole nother thought and another theme. So I want us to read 19 through 23. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. It's 
real similar, similar to chapter 4, where he says, Let us therefore come boldly before his throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. By a new and living way. And I looked up new right there, and it meant freshly slain. That's actually what it meant. The new and living way, freshly slain. That Jesus was slain for our sins. And the living way, I believe, refers to his resurrection. He's not a dead God. Okay? He rose from the dead, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Now, we know that when Jesus died on the cross, I'm not an expert on this, but I think it's fascinating. I think it's very interesting. When he was hanging on that cross between two thieves, from what I understand, the way he was facing and the direction he was looking would have been looking right into the door or the entrance of the temple. He would have literally been facing it, okay? Hanging on the cross. And when he gave up the ghost, and it says that there was like an earthquake and there was darkness over the land and the graves of many that were dead, the saints were opened, and it was a lot of strange things happening, powerful things that were happening. And, uh, but the temple veil... And I know Dee talked about this at a ladies' Bible study that was about four inches thick. Is that right? That's thick when you're talking about material. Okay? Four inches thick. It took uh, a team of horses to like hoist it up to get it in place and to pull it up there. Uh, they said if you tied horses and, and you know, pull, try to pull it together, it wouldn't rip. It was that strong. It was that thick. And... Uh, when Jesus died and gave up the ghost, the temple veil, which separated the people basically from the place where only the high priest could go in, where the mercy seat was, where God met with the high priest once a year, that was torn from the top to the bottom. That is significant. From the top to the bottom. Just like we would tear a Kleenex. Okay? That's how easily it was just torn asunder when Jesus died. You know, He said, I've made the way. Isn't that what it's saying right here? By a new and living way, verse 20, that is, that He is consecrated for us through the veil, not the temple veil. That was symbolic. Okay? That temple is not even standing anymore. It's been burnt down in 70 AD. Alright? But that is to say through His flesh. He is consecrated or made a way for us to come into the presence of Almighty God, not just a high priest, but you and I. He's made us priests, kings and priests unto our God. And we still need a high priest too. He has an office or ministry. Jesus still has a ministry for us at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says He ever lives to intercede for us. He's our advocate with the Father. But He's made us priests as well. And we have a way, because of what Jesus did, to enter into that holy place, that most holy place. And having, a, and having a high priest, that's Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near. So having said all that we've said, all the doctrinal things about the law and the types and shadows and Jesus and obtaining eternal uh, salvation and sanctifying us and so forth, let us therefore draw near. Don't stand back. You remember when, when, uh, when Moses would go meet with the Lord? on Mount Sinai and all the people were like, Moses, you go talk to God. He scares us. That's literally what they're saying. We don't know about this God. We don't know. He might just strike us with lightning or thunder and kill us. We don't know. Moses, you go talk to God. We will hang safely back here at the foot of the mountain. Moses was glad to go okay, to meet with the Lord. But we can draw near. We're not to just stand at a distance. He wants us to draw near. That we've been, we who are sometimes far off in Ephesians chapter 2 have been made nigh by the blood of Christ, by the blood of Jesus. That's the thing that makes us near because the only thing that separates a man from a holy God is his sin. That's it. But the blood of Jesus has taken care of that. Right? He chooses to forget our sins and to make us clean. So let us draw near with a true heart in full, there's four things mentioned here. Draw near to God with a true heart. That means in sincerity. Full assurance of faith. That means fully believing in what Jesus did, who He is, how He represents me today, and everything about Christ. Okay? Full assurance of faith. 
having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And remember, we talked a lot about the conscience. The blood of those animal sacrifices never dealt with a man's conscience. He came in, come in guilty and because he committed some sin. The law would say, offer this animal. He would offer the animal. God would accept it and made atonement for his sins. Now he could join the rest of the congregation and go worship God outside the tabernacle. But his conscience was not dealt with yet. He had to go to God for that. Okay? Personally go to the Lord for that. And this is how we can enter in. Now, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That pure water is actually... Uh, that's a, a type and shadow. Remember we talked about the sprinkling of the ashes of the heifer and the pure water that would, that would cleanse the body. Last couple of weeks we talked about it. But we, we haven't actually been washed in that water. We've been washed in the blood of Jesus. Some people think that might represent the Word. How we're washed by the water of the Word. Okay? And also it could represent the Holy Spirit because He's, he's referred to as the living water. Right? The living water. Uh, I'm fine with, with either of those. I know it's not a physical water that we're washed in. We're washed in the blood of Jesus. So the last scripture for tonight, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. God's faithful. We need to know that. It, it's not, uh, God's not going to ever disappoint He's not ever going to disappoint. I can tell you with full assurance, and you could tell me with the same full assurance, Randy, keep your eyes on Jesus. He'll never let you down. And I can tell you, look you square in the eyes. That's about one of the only things I could tell you and absolutely be sure of. Okay? Is to say, trust God. I can't give you the answer. I don't know the answer to everything you're facing. But I can tell you to trust God. I can tell you to hold fast your profession, and you can tell me that as well. Hold fast your, our profession of faith without wavering. He that wavereth is like what, as James say? A wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. That word profession means terms of surrender. You might think that's a funny definition for profession, but that's what it means. When you gave your life to Jesus, you surrendered it your life, and you gave it to Jesus. The terms were this. Take my life. I'm a no-good sinner, and I deserve hell. You're the Lord and Savior. You died and rose again. I believe You. I believe Your saving Gospel. I believe that if I give my life to You, You're going to forgive me and give me the gift of eternal life and make me Your Son. And I do it. No strings attached. That's the terms of surrender when you got saved and you gave your life to the Lord. It says, hold fast your profession of faith. Hold fast to those terms of surrender. Don't start adjusting that as you go. You know, it's like a picture of somebody, and I'm going to close, but somebody that's uh, hanging on for dear life on a cliff. And they're like, Lord, if you'll get me out of this, I'll serve you all the days of my life. And somehow the, and somebody goes, hey, there's a guy who needs help. And they lift you up, and you're saved. And, you're like, and you just go back, well, Lord, I didn't really mean that. <laughs> you know, I'm not really going to serve you all my life. I'm going to thank you for, for saving me. That was nice of you to send that guy, but I'm really not going to... You know what I mean? We start shifting the terms. Don't do that. Don't do that. Hold fast our profession of faith without wavering, wavering for He is faithful that promised. Okay? Don't let anything cl uh, turn you or deter you or distract you from your steadfast commitment to Christ. Don't get, your, don't get scared by what's going on in this lost world. Don't let somebody tell you that this is a bunch of hogwash and evolution has been proved beyond a shadow of a doubt and the Bible's unreliable. It doesn't matter what men say. They let God be true, but every man a liar. We're going to keep our eyes on the Lord and no one who's ever trusted in God will be disappointed. Do you believe that? Do you believe there's anybody that's ever fully trusted in God and they're disappointed? He let him down. Have you ever let somebody down? I have. More than I care to number uh, or mention. But the Lord has never let anybody down. Uh, the Savior is going to come like He promised. That's something we can believe in. His people will be with Him and like Him 
forever. And I want to close with that. That's the promises of God. In addition to many other ones, He's going to come like He said, and His people will be with Him and like Him forever. So I don't know who's doing the altar, but if uh, if you want to just begin to, to play. And y'all, I know it's cramped and crowded, but let's take a few minutes here just to thank the Lord. Our altar time is open. You say, well, where's the altar? It's going to have to be wherever you can find a little six inches to make it in this house. But we're going to have an altar time. We're going to have a time before the Lord to just thank Him. Thank God for His Son, Jesus. Thank Jesus for being the Lamb of God who takes away the sins. He doesn't just cover our sins. He forgives and washes away our sins. And Lord, we come before You tonight, God, and we humble ourselves before You. You resist the proud, but You give grace to the humble. Humble Yourself, therefore, into the mighty hand of God that He may exalt You in due time. And Father, we're grateful and thankful just from studying a half a chapter tonight in Your Word, God, the things that You've spoken to us, the truths, God, of what we have in Jesus, God, and how much better it is than the first covenant. How much better it is than anything else that this world could offer us. We're thankful for our positional standing in Christ as being justified and sanctified and separated unto God. We're thankful, Lord, for the eternal hope that we have in Jesus. And Lord, I don't know where everybody stands. Maybe somebody here tonight came in very discouraged. Maybe their faith was greatly attacked today. And they don't even feel like they've got any faith left. But You said faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And we've heard Your Word tonight. And we believe it. And we claim it. And we hold on to it, God. And I pray for every brother and sister here from the youngest to the oldest, if they're born again, God, that You would strengthen our faith in Jesus. And we leave here tonight, we'll be stronger in our faith and our trust and our confidence in You than we were when we came in. And don't let, God, this dark, wicked world around us draw us away from that pure, simple faith that we have in Jesus. We love You, God. We thank You for living in our hearts by the person of the Holy Spirit. We thank You for the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. We thank You for the blood of Jesus that's washed us clean. We thank You, God, for Your presence here tonight, God. And we want to... Hold fast our profession of faith without wavering because faithful is He who promised. Jesus' name. You just pray and call upon the Lord for a little while tonight. Just take a few minutes before you leave to really meet with God. Know that you've met with God. Don't just sit there. Meet with the Lord. Call upon Him. Ask Him. Say, Lord, make Yourself real to me. Lord, I need a touch from You tonight. I need You to do something real in my life. He'll do it, I promise you. Call upon Him. Thank you, Jesus.